Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arana Chalaramanaya Namaskaram. Um, today, the principal verse I'm going to talk about is verse 9 of Ulujunapyuanabandam. I will also briefly talk about verses 25 and 40, because these three verses Bhagavan originally composed as one set. Um, however, before I uh, talk about that, um, the main subject of these um, of these three verses is the main subject of Bhagavan's teachings, namely I. And there is only one real I, that is, what actually exists, as Bhagavan says, Yatatamai Uludu Apmasarupamondre. In the seventh paragraph of Nana, what actually exists is only Apmasarupa. So our own real nature, the real nature of ourself as we act, that means ourself as we actually are, is alone what actually exists. It is one without a second. There is no other thing that actually exists. All this multiplicity is therefore just an appearance. And to whom does this appear? Only to ourself as ego, because it's only when we rise as ego in waking and dream that there is this appearance of multiplicity. When we do not rise as ego in sleep, there is no appearance of multiplicity. So everything appears to ego. So the one, what actually exists is only I, the one real I. Even in the case of uh, when there is an appearance, there is still that that is ego is that same one I mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So since the appearance of multiplicity appears in the view of ego, though in the view of ego, this, that is, when we rise as ego, we take ourselves to be a person. And because we, namely ego, the one who is aware of all this, take ourselves to be a person, it seems to us that every other person is, is just like us and is therefore seeing the world. What is actually seeing the world is not any person, it is only ego. And all the other egos exist only in the one view of the one ego that sees them. So even in the state of, even in the level of ego, there is only one ego. This is one of the basic principles of Bhagavan's teachings, and indeed one of the basic principles of Advaita as a whole. There are, of course, more diluted forms of Advaita but concede the seeming reality of many jivas. But uh, for if, if our aim is to turn within and know what we actually are, it is more useful, Bhagavan has made it clear, for us to understand that actually all the multiplicity of, of other jivas, other egos, exist only in the view of the one jiva, the one ego who is seeing them all. Um, this topic has come up, um, as probably many of you are aware, this topic has come up quite a lot uh, recently in discussions. So I've received many emails asking me about this. And one of the most common questions people ask, that is one of the things that people find most difficult to get around, then why... Why are teachings given to so many if there's only one? Um, 
in this connection, there was something that once happened when in Bhagavan's life. That is, Bhagavan was explaining. So someone asked Bhagavan to clarify what he meant by saying there's just one ego. So Bhagavan was explaining this. What is called in Sanskrit is called Ekajiva Vada. That is the contention that there's just one jiva. Jiva means ego. In other words, there's just one experience of this. And so Bhagavan was explaining it as in in dream. You in in a dream. Um, so long as you're dreaming, you take yourself to be a person in the dream. And there seem to be so many other people like you. So all those other people seem to be, in your view, they seem to be seeing the world. But actually, the whole dream, including all the other people, not only all the other people, including even the person you take yourself to be, they are all part of the dream. The whole dream appears only in the view of the one dreamer. The one dreamer is ego. The the person we take ourselves to be in a dream is obviously not the dreamer, because that person is part of the dream. So the dreamer is ego. But whenever we dream, we always take ourselves to be a person within our dream. That is why, though the whole dream is our creation, we seem to have very little control over what's happening in, in a dream. If, for example, we're being chased by a monster or something, we can't just will the monster away. Um, because we, because we, though it's all our projection, all our creation, we, experience, we don't experience ourselves as the creator of it all. We experience ourselves as a creature within our creation. And so as a, as a small creature within the creation, we obviously have very limited power. So Bhagavan was explaining this, exactly the same the waking state. The waking state, we seem to be a person, but we are actually the one who has projected all this. That is, the one who sees all this is the one who has projected it all. So Bhagavan was explaining uh, about this, and someone asked him, Bhagavan, then if there's only one ego, who is it? Which among us is that one ego? Bhagavan said, you are that. And then someone asked, but Bhagavan, what about me? Bhagavan said, you are that. And someone else said, what about me, Bhagavan? You are that. And Bhagavan kept quiet then. He didn't say anything further. But many people have difficulty understanding how Bhagavan can say to each and every one, you are that. Does that mean that there are many egos? But if each person is but one ego, it seems confusing so long as we take it, but Bhagavan is giving his teachings to the person we seem to be. Bhagavan is not actually giving any teachings to any person. Bhagavan is giving teachings to the one ego that mistakes itself to be a person. Because the person we seem to be is a bundle of five sheaves, namely the physical body, um, the, the life that animates the body, the prana, um, the mind, intellect and will that function within that body. These five are called the five sheaths. Mm -hmm. this, this is what makes up the person we seem to be. Bhagavan called these five sheaths collectively as body. In, in verse 5 of Arunapati, he says, Udal Panchakos Uru, the body is a form of five sheaths. So what when he says the ego is nothing but the 
false awareness, I am this body. He's not just, what he means by this body is not just the physical body, the whole bundle of five sheets, in other words, the whole person. So I am this body or I am this person, it amounts to the same thing. Um, it, it seems to us that Bhagavan is, because we mistake ourselves to be a person, it seems to us that Bhagavan is giving teachings to us as a person and to other people as people. So Nana, for example, the text Nana, Bhagavan gave to Shiva Prakashan Pillai. Um, Uludunapya he gave to Murugana. So it seems to us, but we need to remember that this is all our dream. So the, the, the Shiva Prakashan Pillai, who elicited this wonderful text, Nana, from Bhagavan, and Murugana, who solicited this wonderful text to Ludunapadu and Upadeshundia and Amma and so on from Bhagavan, these are all part of our dream. So actually, all of Bhagavan's teachings are given to whom? They are given to us for one ego. So even when Bhagavan seems to be addressing others, for example, when someone asks Bhagavan, who is the one jiva? And Bhagavan says, you are that. Though Bhagavan seems to be talking to that person, he's actually talking to the one who is experiencing all this, namely ourselves, the one who is seeing all this. So Ekajivavada seems confusing to people so long as we take ourselves to be a person. It seems to be, there seem to be contra inherent contradictions in it, so long as we take ourselves to be a person. Because obviously, as a person, we're just one among many people. And so long as we are talking among ourselves, we are looking outwards. When we are looking outwards, we seem to be a person, and we who are experiencing all this seem to be a person. And so every other person seems to be just like us experiencing this. So we, when we are talking among ourselves, when we're discussing Bhagavan's teachings or any other subject, we are talking as if there are many. We, we have to. We have, it's that, that is, so long as we are dreaming, there seem to be many people and most other people seem to be every bit as, as sentient as the person we seem to be. Actually, no person is sentient. No person is aware. What is aware is only ego, the dreamer in whose view all these things um, appear. So, we, if if we if we unless we clearly understand the distinction between ego and the person whom we as ego take ourselves to be, the whole thing seems to be confusing. Um. In a recent discussion with someone, they were they were saying they were implying that um, when I was discussing this subject with someone, they were implying that this this will lead this will lead to um, to lack of compassion. But actually, it's, that is not the case. It is very clear that is not the case because so long as we're looking outwards, we seem to be a person. And every other person seem is every other person is just as real or just as unreal as the person we seem to be, because we take ourselves to be this person. We are real, so if this person is ourselves, this person appears to us to be real. So every other person seems to be just as real. So it seems to us, so long as we're looking outwards, but there's a multiplicity of jivas. So why did Bhagavan teach us? Ekajiva Vada, but there's only one jiva. He taught this because um, 
not in order for us to change our outward behavior, but in order for us to turn within. If if all if I am if I am one jiva in whose view all these things appear, to know the reality of everything, all I need to do is to know the reality of myself. Because everything else is a is an object, a phenomenon that appears in the view of myself as this one ego. So without knowing the reality of myself, I cannot know the reality of other things. So the, the, the purpose of, if we understand Ekajiva Bhada correctly, it is directing our attention back towards ourself. Because as Bhagavan said, uh, though now there seems to be, we, we, now we seem to be ego seeing all this, if we turn our attention within, to find out what we actually are, we will see that what we actually are is not this ego, but only pure awareness. Pure awareness is immutable. It never undergoes any change. So we have never actually become ego. So ego is as much an appearance as everything that appears in its view. Both ego, the subject, and all objects appear only in the view of ego. So the whole aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back towards ourselves. That is, if, if you want to summarize Bhagavan's teachings in one word, it is I. That, that is what Bhagavan's teachings are all about, is about I. And I is, in the experience of all of us, I is one. So who is that one I? That is what we need to investigate. Of course, when we're talking, we have to talk as if there's a multiplicity, because uh, just like in a dream, if we're having a discussion in a dream, though everyone, in, all the people in the dream, including the person we seem to be, is a part is just a, our own projection. But so long as we take ourselves to be a person, so long as we're dreaming, we take ourselves to be a person in the dream. So we are just we seem to be one among many. So as one among many, we behave in this world as if there's a multiplicity of jivas. So. The aim of Ekajiva Vada is to turn our attention within to investigate who am I, the one I, in whose view all these other things appear. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that because so many people ask, if, if Bhagavan said, when, in that incident where Bhagavan said, you are that, you are that, you are that to each one, that seems to be contradicting what he's saying because he's saying there's one ego, but he says the three different people, you are that because he's not saying it actually to the person. He's saying it to the one ego in whose view all these things appear. So whatever teaching Bhagavan gives to anyone, we need to understand that that teaching is actually directed at us. And why is Bhagavan giving us any teachings at all? To turn our attention back towards ourselves. So we, we, that is, as soon as the, the topic of Ekajiva Bhada comes up, most of the questions that are asked are about others. That's completely missing the point. Because the whole point of Ekajiva Vada is to stop our attention going out to the appearance of others, to the appearance of multiplicity, and turn our attention back to ourselves for one eye. So if we understand this teaching correctly, there is no contradiction. Only if we fail to understand the teaching correctly and we miss, we confuse the the Bhagavan is talking to people rather than talking to the one ego, 
um, inevitably they'll seem to be contradictions because we're failing to understand what Bhagavan is saying. So always, that is, Bhagavan's teachings are very, very simple, but um, extremely deep, extremely subtle. Um, I just saw in uh, a, um, a, a chat message that popped up there. I couldn't read the whole thing. Someone had written that ego is part of the body. No, ego is not part of the body. Is the dreamer a part of the body that you take yourself to be in a dream? No. The, 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 the body is a projection of ego. Ego has projected this body and takes it to be itself, just like in a dream. We project the dream body, take that dream body, and that is, we, the projecting it and taking it to be ourself is simultaneous. That, that is, as soon as we start dreaming, we, we're aware of ourselves as a body within that dream. So the projection of the body and taking it to be ourself is simultaneous. And the appearance of the world also happens all at the same time. So ego is not a part of anything. Everything appears only within the view of ego. Ego is a false awareness of ourself. That is, there is one real eye. That is the pure eye, pure awareness. When that one real eye is seemingly mixed and conflated with adjuncts, as I am this person, I, I am this body, that is ego. So the body exists in the view of ego. Ego is not a part of the body. Um, I don't know if there was more to, to that um, question. So whoever wrote that message, if you've got anything further you want to ask about this, um, after I've talked about these verses, you can, um, you can ask um, Kumar to uh, refer your question to me. Um, so now, why I said this as a prelude, partly because I've received so many emails and other messages from people asking about this, people who are not understanding the purpose of it. That is, if we want to understand Bhagavan correctly, we all we need to always bear in mind that the sole aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back to ourselves. If we understand that, we will understand all his teachings in a correct perspective. If we lose sight of that, then we will start raising all sorts of philosophical objections or ethical objections or whatever. So we need to understand what is the purpose of, of Bhagavan's teaching. The sole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back towards I. So the, the three verses I'm going to talk about today, verses 9, 25, and, and 40 of Uludhanapta Anabandam, these Bhagavan wrote, and the main topic of these um, these uh, verses is I, uh, because uh, all these verses are translated. That is, two of them, verses uh, 9 and 25, are translations, respectively, of verses 46 and 47 of um, the Jnana, Jnana Chara Vichara Padalam, which is a chapter in a Upagama called Devikalotram. Um, and um, verse 40 is a translation of a verse from one of the minor Upanishads. But the, um, the main topic of these verses is I. So 
coming to the main verse I'm going to talk about uh, today is verse 9. What Bhagavan says in this verse is, Aha Kamalate Achila Amala Achila Aham Uruvum Ahum Aribu Edu Ahate Ahatridu Vadal Ab Aham Am Aribe Ahavidu Aripadu Ari. What what that means uh, is, um, the basic meaning is, what awareness is the blemishless, motionless eye form in the heart lotus? Only that awareness, which is I, will give inner liberation by removing I. No. So what does it? What does he imply by this? Um. Uh. uh um I'll go, go through the Aha Kamalate Amala Achila Aham Uruvam Ahum Aribu Edu. That means what awareness uh, is the is the is the blemishless and uh, motionless eye form uh, in the heart uh, in in the in the Heart lotus. That is in the that is the the heart is often uh, 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 that is the lotus is used as an analogy for heart. So the heart lotus. That means just means the heart. In other words, in the very deep within us, what awareness shines uh, as the blemishless. Blemishless means it's immaculate. It's pure. And motionless, actually, actually, something that is motionless implies that it is immutable. Because if something changes, it moves from one state to another. Um, this body, for example, is mutable. Um, uh, some years before, this body was a small child running around playing. Now it has it has uh, become middle aged or old aged or whatever. It, it has changed over time. So it has moved from being a young child to being an old person. So saying that it is in, uh, motionless um, me, implies that it is also immutable. In other words, it's ever unchanging. It's pure. It's pure because it's devoid of adjuncts and it's ever unchanging. Um, it never moves from one state to another. It is, it, it is always as it is. And he uses the term aham uh, um, uruvam. That literally means the eye form. But uruvam here is used in the form of swarupa. Swarupa literally means own form. But it is, it's a term that is used to imply the real nature of something. So the eye form implies the eye swarupa, aham swarupa, the real nature of I. In other words, I as it actually is. In other words, ourself as we actually are. So what awareness shines as that pure and motionless I form, the real nature of I, only that awareness, which is I, here I implies Atmosarupa, the real nature of ourself, will give inner liberation. Uh, the term he uses for inner liberation is Ahavidu. 
can either be taken to mean the Tamil word aham, which means inside, or the uh, Sanskrit word aham means I. So it can either be taken to mean the inner liberation or liberation, which is I. Both are equally applicable. Both are appropriate meanings. Um, by removing I, what is the I that is to be removed? Namely, ego. What is the so? What is the distinction between the I that is that awareness that, uh, that will remove I and the I that is to be removed by that? That is the I that is to be removed is ego which is the adjunct-conflated awareness, I am this body. Um, so Bhagavan often uses words like I, uh, and we need to understand from the context when he's referring to ego and when he's referring to our real nature. So when he says, um, uh, aham am arive, only that awareness which is I, their I, he's referring to the pure I, ourself as we actually are. And when he says, but it, by removing I, he means by removing ego. Um, and and he ends by saying Ari. Ari means no or be aware. Uh, so in other words, it, what it implies is uh, know this by investigating this pure emotionless awareness but shines eternally as I, without ever rising or subsiding. Um, uh, <clears throat> oh yes, that's another me. When I, I explained that motionless implies that it is immutable. When when he was talking about the I form, the real nature of I, it implies that it is immutable. It also implies that it never rises and subsides. Rising and subsiding is the nature of ego. But as Bhagavan says in verse 24 of Uludunapadu, Satchit Udiyadu, Satchit does not rise. So the I form he's talking, that he describes as blemishless and motionless, is the pure Satchit, the pure being awareness. The I that is to be removed is ego. The same I mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So in other words, when ego is eradicated, what is removed is the adjuncts. And then the, what ego actually is alone remains. That is the pure I. Um, Bhagavan, um, Bhagavan uh, translated all the verses from Jnana Chara Vichara Padalam. That is, uh, Padalam means a chapter. And Jnana Chara Vichara means the investigation of the of the uh, of the jnana chara, that is the 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 the, the literally means the conduct for jnana. What it implies is, how, but it's an investigation of the spiritual path. Is the path of jnana is what it implies. This is a chapter in an upa agama called Devikalotram. The agamas are uh, Shaiva Siddhanta. Um, uh, text and Shaiva Siddhanta is a predominantly dualistic philosophy. Um, but uh, so all the, the Agamas are, are generally very dualistic in their um, in, in the, the way they, they express things. But Bhagavan came across this chapter from Devakalotram, which is Pure, which is very um, non-dualistic in its content, and because it it um, it 
coincided or, or it it matched his experience so well. Bhagavan himself translated the whole work into Tamil. I mean, the whole of this chapter, this Jnana Chara, the Charapadalam, he translated into, into Tamil. So these two verses in Oludunapta and Abandam, um, uh, 9 and 25, are alternative translations of verses 46 and 47. So how he translated it when he translated the whole work was slightly different. Um, when he tra- in um, in um, these verses of An- of Uludunapdu Anubandam, he's um, he's playing on two particular words in all of these three verses nine twenty five and forty. Uh, two particular words. One is aham, which in Tamil has two meanings because the the pure Tamil word aham means inside or heart or home, and, and Aham is also a Sanskrit first-person pronoun meaning I. So in Tamil, it has uh, two meanings. So Bhagavan is using this word Aham a lot in these these three verses. And he's also using the Tamil word Arivu, which means awareness. When he translated it in, um, in, uh, in, when translating the whole of this chapter, he didn't use the word, instead of using the word Arivu, he used the word Chit, which is the word in the original Sanskrit uh, slokas. So the, the verse in, um, the, the original Sanskrit verse in uh, David Kalotram is Hritsaroje, uh, uh, that means in the heart lotus. Um, I don't know Sanskrit very well, so... Uh, Ah, him, ah, that he, aham, uh, that becomes him, uh, aham rupa, I form, that's what he translates as aham urubam, uh, ya, what, uh, uh, chitti nirmala achala, what awareness is, uh, nirmala, devoid of impurities, and achala, devoid of movement, um, uh, in the uh, in the form of the eye, eye in the heart, ahankara parichagam. So removing that ahankara, that awareness will give moksha. Is the meaning of the Sanskrit sloka. But anyway, how he translated it in the other alternative translation of this verse is um idea kamalate aham uru am echitu adu nemala nichalame ahum udikum ahankaram nikudalal achitte mukti sukum kodupadu endru tuni um, what that means is, what awareness is the eye form, which is blemishless and motionless in the heart lotus, know for sure that only that awareness will give the happiness of liberation by removing the rising ego. 
um, and what, what that implies, we expand it slightly. What awareness exists and shines in the heart lotus as the I form, uh, Swarupa, real nature of I, which is blemishless, immaculate or pure, emotionless, and hence immutable, know for sure that only that awareness will give the happiness of liberation by removing or destroying the rising ego, namely the, the spurious I that rises from and subsides in this pure awareness, which alone is real and enduring. And in the Kalivemba version of this verse, before the first phrase, Idiya Kamalate, uh, Bhagavan added an adjectival or reductive cause, clause, um, Udal Ul uh, Saram, which mingles within the body. And he changed the final word, Tuni, uh, conclude or know for sure, to Tunei, uh, which means uh, may you conclude or may you know for sure. So the Kalivemba version of this verse means, what awareness is the eye form, which is blemishless and motionless in the heart lotus, which mingles within the body. The heart lotus means the pure eye. So that pure eye mingles within the body, uh, seemingly, uh, as ego. Um, may you know for sure, but only that awareness will give the happiness of liberation by removing the rising ego. Um, so that's the meaning of verse 9. As I say, this is, was the first of a set of three verses that Bhagavan wrote. So I'll just briefly go through the next two. I'll deal with these verses in more detail when we come to them, but just to see the connection. So just, uh, just to remind, um, in this verse 9, he says, what awareness is the blemishless, motionless eye form in the heart lotus, only that awareness, which is I, will give liberation by removing I, no. In the next, in, in verse 25, he says, by constant and uninterrupted meditation in the heart, what awareness is devoid of all adjuncts, that Shivam is I, dispel every attachment in the mind. And in verse 40, he says, um, I shall proclaim truly the essence of the final conclusion of all of Vedanta. If I dying, I become that, that I, which is the form of awareness, alone is what remains. No. So I, they, these are the three verses together. If we try to understand them uh, taken together, that is in verse 9, what he is emphasizing is that liberation can be what will give liberation is only I. And why is that? that? That is the pure I is what we actually are. So knowing and being what we actually are, in other words, knowing and being the pure I alone is the state of liberation. So long as we rise as ego, we seem to be bound by all the limitation because as ego, we identify ourselves with the body. Body is obviously limited in time and space, and in so many ways, the body is limited. So long as we identify ourselves as a body, we are seemingly bound by um, so many limitations, and we undergo pleasures and pains and all sorts of things. Uh, uh, but in, in, so, in order to attain liberation, this ego, the for, 
the full side that is aware of itself as I am this body, this is what needs to be uh, destroyed. And that can be destroyed only by, since e that is, since ego is a, a false awareness of ourself, that means an awareness of ourself as something other than what we actually are, it can be removed only by correct awareness of ourself as we actually are. So only by knowing and being the pure I that we actually are, the pure awareness, which always shines as I, which is what we actually are, only by knowing and being that can we eradicate ego. And only by eradicating ego can we attain liberation. Um, last month, I, when I spoke about, I spoke about verse 8, Verse in verse eight, um, because the, verse eight is not entirely Bhagavan's idea. That is, Bhagavan wrote that verse on behalf of Jagadisha Sastri. So, though most of the ideas in verse eight are ideas that Bhagavan, but but Jagadisha Sastri learned from Bhagavan, so that most of the ideas are in accordance with Bhagavan's teaching. One idea that is not in accordance with Bhagavan's teaching is that we can, we can be established in Atmanishta, we can be, uh, be firmly fixed as we actually are by means of pranayama. So as to correct that, here Bhagavan put this verse immediately after that one, because in this verse Bhagavan makes it clear, what will give liberation is only I. So except by meditating on ourselves, except by meditating on I alone, there is no means to attain liberation. Um, so uh, the essence of this verse 9 is what awareness is. is I'll, I'll paraphrase it because this, this, this sentence structure is very common in Tamil and Sanskrit, but not common in English, to say what awareness is blemishless, that awareness will give liberation. That's not a usual sentence structure in English. So I'll, I'll put it in a more normal English sentence structure. What he's saying here is only that awareness that is the, that sh exists and shines as the blemishless, motionless eye form in the heart, um, only that awareness will give inner liberation by removing ego. So that the that the, the 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 what he says in verse nine in verse twenty five, he's he. Uh, so how are we to attain liberation from that eye? If that eye will give us liberation, what must we do in order to gain liberation? We should meditate only on that eye. That is the implication of the next verse. By constant and uninterrupted meditation in the heart. What awareness is devoid of adjuncts, that Shiva is I, dispel every attachment in the mind. Superficially, this verse may seem to be teaching Soham Bhavana. We should be meditating uh, that awareness is I. But if we, if we think about it more deeply, what he's saying is what awareness should be, is that awareness which is devoid of all adjuncts, that is the pure I. So, that what what this um, uh, sentence what awareness is devoid of all adjuncts that shivam is I what that implies is I am I that is uh, what I am I am nothing but I so by meditating on I alone is the implication here by constant and uninterrupted meditation in the heart 
on that awareness, which is devoid of all adjuncts, and which is therefore shining in our heart as I, we should dispel every attachment in the mind. He uses the word here, Shivam. Shivam is a, in Tamil, the god, Shiva, is called Shivan. That is, a, the, the, when N is added on the end of a noun, it makes it a, a personal noun. A male, male nouns end in um, male personal nouns generally end in n. So, for example, Bhagavan's name uh, in Tamil is Ramanan. The in means it it makes it a personal. Uh, whereas Shivam is impersonal. So Shivam is the. Uh, uh, Shivam literally means that which is aus the auspicious substance or reality. Uh, in other words, Shiva, the god Shiva, in his ultimate form, as the one self-shining awareness, Chitswarupa, that is what is implied by Shivam. So that awareness which uh, shines as I, so what this verse implies is that we but by meditating on that awareness which is always shining as I, we should dispel every attachment in the mind. By that is by meditating on ourselves, by meditating on I alone, we are thereby not allowing our mind to be swayed by. So long as we're holding firmly onto self-attentiveness, we are thereby not allowing our attention to be diverted away towards anything else. What diverts our attention away towards other things is our vishaya vasanas. Um, so, to the extent to which we hold on to self-attentiveness, we are thereby not allowing ourselves to be swayed by our vishaya vasanas. So, by holding on to self-attentiveness, our sat-vasana, the inclination to hold on to our own being, is strengthened, and our vishaya vasanas are weakened. And, and the, since vishaya vasanas are the seeds that give rise to likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, and everything, the means to dissolve, to dispel every attachment of the mind is to meditate only on I. But that is, the more we hold on to I, the more we attach, we become to I, and detached, we become from everything else. Um, so we should have attachment, as is beautifully said in the, in the verse in Tirukkural that Bhagavan often used to refer to. In order to be free of attachment, we should have attachment to that which is free of attachment. What is a free of attachment is the pure eye that is devoid of all adjuncts. Um, that is, that uh, awareness mixed and conflated with adjuncts is ego. Uh, that is, the awareness is what always shines as I am. When that I am is mixed and completed with adjuncts as I am this body, that resulting mixture is what is called ego. But the pure I is devoid of all adjuncts. So by meditating on that pure I, uh, well, in other words, by meditating on our own, on ourselves as we actually are, just mere awareness, we thereby dispel every attachment of the mind. And then uh, verse 40. The, the conclusion of this set of three verses, this is, as I said, this is a translation from one of the, um, one of the minor Upanishads. It, there's an Upanishad which in South Indian um, versions is called the Katarudra Upanishad. 
and in uh, North Indian uh, versions, it's called the uh, Katasruti Upanishad. I haven't been able to find a, any text of the Katasruti Upanishad, so I'm not sure whether this verse is included in the Katasruti Upanishad, but it's certainly included in the Katarudra Upanishad, which is the South Indian version of it. Um, and this is the verse that Bhagavad translated into, or the, the, slope, the verse in the Upanishad is um, Sarva Veda, uh, sorry, Sarva, Ve, Sarva Vedanta Vedanta Siddhanta Sarum Vachami Yatata Taha Swayam Ritva Swayam Bhutva Swayam Eva um, Sorry, my Swayam Eva Basisyate. So this is the verse that Bhagavan translated into Tamil. The Tamil version is, Bhagavan Tamil version, Akila Vedanta Siddhanta Sarate Aham Unmeyaha Areban Aham Setu Aham Adu Ahil Arivu Uru Am Ab Aham Adei Micham Ari. What that means is, I shall proclaim truly the essence of the final conclusion of all Vedanta. If I dying, I become that, that I, which is the form of awareness, alone is what remains. Um, uh, the, the first uh, part is very clear. I shall proclaim truly the essence of the final conclusion of all of Vedanta. That's clear. But the, but the main idea is, if I dying, I become that. That I, which is the form of awareness, alone is what remains. What he implies by that is, if I dying, uh, I become that. that. That means if ego dies by our knowing and being what we actually are, always actually are, namely Brahman, the one infinite space of pure awareness. Um, so when we cease to be ego, we remain as we always are. So though it's said, I become that, it's not really a matter of becoming, I remain as that. So if when, when ego dies, that is when the adjuncts drop off, what remains is the pure I, which is always that. Um, and that I, which is the, uh, which is the, um, uh, how is, in, in Tamil, he, he says, Arivu Uru Am Abaham, in the Sanskrit, uh, no, it's not. It's not put there. But, but this is something Bhagavan had. Bhagavan has added more words in Tamil to make it clearer that I, which is the um, the Arivuru, Arivuru, literally means the form of awareness. It implies Arivu Swarupa or Chit Swarupa or Jnana Swarupa, meaning awareness, the real nature of awareness, awareness as it actually is. Um, so that I, which is awareness as it actually is, alone is what remains. In other words, the pure awareness I am alone is what remains. Why is that alone what remains? Because everything else exists only in the view of ego. So when ego dies, everything else that exists only in its view will die along with it. And what will then remain is the one thing that alone always actually exists, namely the pure awareness I am. 
And he ends with the word Ari, which means no, or be aware of this, implying be aware of this one eye that exists and shines eternally as such it. Um, so so it's it, many people aren't aware that these three verses were composed together, but if we read them together, it's uh, it's very clear that they are actually a set. Even the, the, the wording, as I say, you know, all of them he's he's playing on the words aham and arivu. Arivu means awareness, aham means I. And what is I? As he says in um in the, the first question which Shubhakashan Pillai asked Bhagavan is Swami Nana. And Bhagavan's answer was Arive Nan, awareness alone is I. So the, these three verses, though they're translated from older texts, two of them from um, uh, Agama and one of them from Upanishad, they are very beautifully expressing the essence of Bhagavan's teachings. Um, so I think I've explained all that I want to, to explain about those verses. So does anyone have any questions about these verses? Thank you, Michael. Hmm. Um, so on verse 9, uh, he first wants to make clarify what he said in verse 8, right? Um, because yes. verse 8 truly doesn't yeah. belong to him. Yeah. And so he clarifies this in, in verse yeah. 9. And then in, uh, in in this verse, there's one phrase I wanted to focus on. Um, only that awareness yes. will give inner liberation. Let's just focus yeah. on the word only. Um, why does he say only? Only that awareness. Because what that is, what is bondage? Bondage is nothing but ego. As Bhagavan says in verse 24 of Uludunapadu, um, in sentient bodies does not say I such it does not rise but in between one thing I rises as the extent of a body this thing that rises as the extent of a body he goes on to say that is chit jada granti but not formed by the entanglement of chit and jada chit means the such it the, the, the pure awareness I am and Jada is referring to the body. So when these two are mixed and conflated, as I am this body, that is what is called Chichadagranti. Chichadagranti uh, bandham is bondage, because we are bound to the limitations of the body. Um, bandham, um, uh, jivan, it's the, it's the jiva. Um, it, it, uh, it is... Um, um, Ahande, it's e, e, oh, it's nupame, the subtle body. Ahande, jiva. Ahande means ego. Um, uh, it's samsara, this samsara and manam. So this I, this ego, the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body, this is bondage. So without removing ego, there is no liberation. So liberation, as he says in the concluding verse of Vuludunapdu, liberation is nothing but destruction of ego. Um, so how can ego be destroyed? Since ego is a false awareness of ourself, that is an awareness of ourself as something other than what we actually are, it can be destroyed only by correct awareness of ourself. So it's only by being aware of ourselves as we actually are, but we can, but we can, 
that the ego will be eradicated and we will thereby be liberated or free. So what can give liberation? Only that pure eye, only that eye that is uh, uh, amala, that amala means devoid of blemishes, blemishless, immaculate, pure, in other words, the pure awareness, uh, actually motionless, it never rises or subsides, it never undergoes any change. Such is our real nature. And that alone can give us liberation. Because what is liberation? Liberation is nothing but the state of knowing and being what we actually are. What we actually are is that awareness that he refers to here. So there cannot be any other way. Um, the word uh, only, is, there's no actual word in the Tamil for only, but it is implied because uh, the the noun is aribu. Aribu means awareness. But Bhagavan puts here aribe. The, the, the suffix a is an intensifier. But in it, the meaning of a can vary from context to context. But in this context, it very clearly implied that alone. That, so this, uh, this awareness that is that is uh, pure emotionless and is ever shining in the heart lotus as I, this alone can give us liberation. Because that is what we actually are. So only by knowing and being what we actually are can we thereby be liberated from ego, which is not what we, which is a false awareness of ourselves. Awareness of ourselves is something other than what we actually are. Is that a clear answer to that question? Yes, yes, Michael. Um, so, so that alone and that indeed and nothing else can yeah. give us creation. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then let me go. Or, um, there's a question from um, Robert Delgesh. Um, so that is only one ego, and since Bhagwan is um, is only an ever teaching this one ego um when then when the one ego awakens through correct knowledge why is that unawakening at all um, Mike, can i clarify that please yes yeah you want me to finish reading the question uh no because i think it's probably better if i do it in my own words okay okay go ahead sorry um michael you once said it's not robert's ego it's ego's robert yeah. And you said today really stunned me, and I thought, why didn't I realize this? There is only one ego, Ekajivavada. So one ego. So and Michael is teaching not Robert, but teaching ego, the one ego. That's who he's teaching all the time. And you said that it stunned me. So if Michael is teaching that one ego all the time, when that one ego wakes up. And right now, Robert's ego is feeling a bit stupid to ask this question. <laughs> Why don't we all wake up? And when I say all, I'm talking about the phantom beings, if you will, in, in, or the phantom, the phantom appearances in the dream simply dissolve or disappear because they're non-existent. Why, when you're teaching this one ego, why, when it awakens, doesn't everything awaken? Why is there not? Why is there still not? Well, and you get the point. Okay, I get the point. Yeah. Yeah. When when you wake up from a dream, do you worry about all the people in your dream who may still be sleeping? No. No. 
So when the one ego wakes up, all the others that you're talking about exist only in the view of that one ego. So the great, this is why Bhagavan often used to say the greatest good you can do to the world is to know yourself. Because if you know yourself as you actually are, you thereby wake up from this dream. And thereby you put an end to all the wars, all the famines, all the pandemics, all the misery in this universe is, is, is ended simply by you waking up. But this also that doesn't mean Robert that, waking up. It means ego waking up to its own real nature. This comes, this comes to the point, though, that nothing actually, in fact, ever happens. No. It all seems to happen. Whatever happens seems to happen only in the view of ego. But when we, when we as ego turn our attention back to ourselves to find out what we actually are, we will see that we were never ego. We are always that Im yeah. immaculate, motionless I, the pure awareness I. But this goes back to Gautapada's character where it said nothing actually happens. Exactly, yeah. That yeah. is what, that's what Bhagavan, Bhagavan made it clear. The ultimate truth is ajata. Yes, but what is yes. what many people don't understand? Bhagavan also it's said, again. but ajata is not a teaching yeah. because in ajata there is no one bound, there's no one seeking liberation, there's no need for any teaching in ajata. But teaching that is, if you go to a doctor with some serious illness and the doctor says, Oh, you're not, you're not ill. That, that doctor is not going to help you. So you can, a doctor can help you only if they acknowledge, but at least there's a seeming problem. So the teachings are given from the perspective of drishti shishti bada. That is, Bhagavan concedes, yes, there is an ego, and that ego sees a world. So because we see the world, he starts Uludunapadu. The we he's referring to there is ego. Because we, when we rise as ego, we see a world and we have problems. The world gives us so many problems. We have hunger and thirst and um, and um, birth and death and all these uh, pleasures and pains, health and sickness, all these joys and sorrows of life all come only because we rise as ego and consequently see the world. So Bhagavan, Bhagavan concedes that, yes, there is an ego. Or, or no, he doesn't say concede, but he says, yes, there seems to be an ego. And he says, if that ego comes into existence, then only everything else comes into existence. If that ego doesn't exist, nothing else exists. So ego itself is everything. And since the nature of ego is to, to that is, we rise, stand, and flourish of ego by looking at other things, by looking outwards, away from ourselves. If instead of looking outwards, we look inwards, there's no such thing as ego to be found. Therefore, he concludes verse 26 of Bulletin Apadu, therefore, investigating what it is, is giving up everything. Because if we investigate this ego, ego will thereby cease to exist, and everything else will cease to exist along with it, because everything else exists only in the view of ego. So what Bhagavan teaches us is extremely simple. But it is extremely radical, and most of us are not yet ready to accept that. It's because we're not ready to accept it, but we raise so many questions, so many objections. 
But if we understand, if we are ready to understand Bhagavan's purpose and see from a perspective Bhagavan is trying to get us to see from, it couldn't be simpler. Everything exists only in review of ego. Put an end to ego, you put an end to everything. Thank you. So if you liberate yourself, you liberate the whole world. So please liberate yourself so that we may be liberated. Hmm. Getting closer, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, Sarawana Pawan, uh, go ahead. Namaskara, Michael. Namaskara. Uh, I, I just was thinking, Bhagavan saying whenever people are asking uh, who is Jnani, because everyone interested to become Jnani, uh, no one asks who is, <laughs> no, every, but Bhagavan gave a reply saying you are the one, you are Jnani. The same thing applicable for ego as well, I think. So if somebody asks who is ego, you have to say you are ego, then those people who are not happy to accept that I have got all these qualifications, why uh, you are uh, uh, projecting me? We can say you are projecting uh, me, then they will be happy. Is that a correct understanding? <laughs> That is, that if we are trying to, if we are talking about others, we have already stepped away from Bhagavan's teachings. Bhagavan's teachings are not about others. Others appear only when we look outwards. But the whole aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn us to look inwards. That's why if people ask Bhagavan, Bhagavan, who is the one ego? You are that. Who is a jnani? You are that. Who is Brahman? You are that. Bhagavan is always pointing our attention back at ourselves. The whole aim of Bhagavan's teaching is not to is not for us to philosophize, philosophize, philosophize about others. It's to find out who am I. Philosophy is useful only to the extent that it turns our attention back to ourselves. Because how can we know about anything else when we don't even know what we ourselves actually are? When our knowledge of ourselves is an incorrect knowledge, all our knowledge of other things is based upon our incorrect knowledge of ourselves. So if we want to know, to have real knowledge, to know things as they actually are, first and foremost, we need to know ourselves. Then if there are others, we can judge about them. But if we know ourselves as we actually are, according to Bhagavan, others will cease to exist because those others exist only in the view of ourself as ego. So what we need to always understand when we are, when we are uh, reading Bhagavan's teachings, when we're thinking about Bhagavan's teachings, we always need to bear in mind that the sole aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back towards ourselves. It's not just to give us a nice philosophy to answer others who have doubts about this and that. The purpose of, um, of, um, of, of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back to ourselves. That, that, does that answer yeah, the question? 
you know i i i never heard that bahwan said you are nyani in that uh, aspect when you are you are nya, sorry you are ego but you said no, bahwan said you are ego but actually no, that when, uh, when teaching when is bahwan was asked bahwan doesn't say anything of his own accord when he's asked who is the one ego bahwan says you are that when he is yes, asked yeah. who is a nyani is this person a nyani is that person a nyani you are that Bhagwan is always trying to turn our attention back to ourselves. When Janaki Mata held his feet and he asked her, what are you doing? He, she said, I'm holding the feet of my guru. He said, this body is perishable. If this body is your guru you're going, and these feet are your, your guru, you're going to be disappointed because this body is going to go away. Guru is that, guru's feet is that which is shining in your heart as I. Hold on to both feet. They alone will save you. Just like he says here, I alone will, that I alone will give liberation. He said exactly the same to Janik Mata. Hold on to those feet that are shining in your heart as I. They alone will save you. Bhagavan doesn't even want us to be attached to, I mean, Bhagavan doesn't want us, but the purpose of Bhagavan appearing in human form is to turn our attention back within to find his real form, his Swarupa, which is ever shiny in our heart as our own Swarupa. So we should, never, we should never forget this. The whole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings, what his teachings are all about, is who am I? Turning our attention back to ourselves, not asking about this person or that person, or whether we have compassion or not compassion, all these things, these are all secondary. Primary aim of his teaching is turning our attention back to ourselves. That is the supreme act of compassion. Because by saving ourselves, we save the whole universe. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So, um, Along those lines, um, Shohan um, uh, asks a question. Compassion towards others is an outward looking, uh, that is a Bahirmukham behavior uh, by what you're saying. Then how can inward looking, uh, that is Antarmukham, where all seeming others don't exist, increase compassion? Because others appear only when we identify ourselves as a body. The more we look within, the more this identification, it doesn't dissolve completely until we know ourselves as we actually are, but it, it loses its solidity. So the, the, the boundaries, but, but, separate ourselves from others begin to dissolve so the more we look within the more when we look outwards we will see ourselves in others when we see others suffering we will suffer compassion literally means suffering with the, the latin prefix com means with passion means suffering so when we see others suffering we suffer with them because we see ourselves in them we see ourselves in others to the extent to which our identification, I am this body, is, is, is weakened, dissolved. 
That is, so long as ego is very solid, so long as we are, we are strongly identified with this, uh, with this, um, with the what we seem to be, the person we seem to be, we will naturally be selfish. I alone matter; others don't matter. But the more we turn within, the more this 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 solid identification will begin to dissolve. It'll begin to lose its um, its uh, solidity. And we will more and more see ourselves in others. When we see others suffering, we will suffer with them. When we hear the, the, the people, like Bhagavan, when people sometimes came and told their, um, their, 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 the difficulties in their life, the calamities that happened, bereavement and such things, when people told their stories to Bhagavan, Bhagavan often wept, wept along with them. Because he he he's the very embodiment of compassion. So the more we look within, the more outwardly man compassion will manifest in our life. Because when we look outwards, all the others seem to be just as real as as us. So their suffering is the the, the suffering of others is just as real as our suffering. Is that a clear answer? Yes, thank you, Michael. Right. So, uh, Swami addresses this in the introduction to to Path of Sri Ramana, right? You know, he talks about the word selfish. Mm. Um, and, you know, some people ask, is it not selfishness if we try to obtain happiness for ourselves? Um, and then he goes on to explain, um, you know, um, what self really means. It's not yeah. that individual alone, but the whole thing. But that's yeah. basically what you just explained. Yeah. And these things, the, the, these can be explained in words. But to really understand this, we can understand it only by experience. So the answer to such people in, is investigate yourself, look within more and more and more, and you will see the changes that take place in your own life. You become more and more detached from the person you seem to be, and thereby you'll naturally feel more empathy, more love, more compassion for others, so long as others seem to exist, so long as you're exactly. looking outwards. Right. Um... Thank you, Michael. The next question is from Rabi. Um, constant uninterrupted attention to self. Uh, this e ego or, or, or heart lotus, etc. And could also lull the mind into a trance or sleep, which is manolaya. And how should one then meditate on self with the goal of manonasa? No, no, that is a wrong understanding. Self-attentiveness, Swarupa Dhyana, will never lead to Manolaya. It will eventually lead to Manonasa. It cannot lead to Manolaya. So long as we are holding on to self-attentiveness, we are not in Manolaya. Sometimes when we are trying to attend to ourselves, we may fall asleep. But that is, we fall asleep only because we lose hold on the self-attentiveness. So long as we are holding on to self-attentiveness, we cannot go into Manolaya. Manolaya results from 
um, well, it can result in the case of sleep, it results because of tiredness. In the case of coma, it results because of some head injury. In the case of, or some other type of bodily injury. In the case of general anesthesia, it happens because of some drugs. In the case of, um, I, I mean, there's so many ways of bringing about manalaya. In the case of yoga, by means of pranayama, they bring about manalaya. But we cannot bring about manalaya by means of Atmavichara, because so long as we do, we're holding on to that self-attentiveness, we are not in Manolaya. If we slip into Manolaya while practicing self-attentiveness, that is only because we've lost our hold on the self-attentiveness. That is, when we are trying to hold on to ourself, our we, we can be diverted away from self-attentiveness in one of two ways. Either we can allow our attention to go out Words after thoughts, or we can allow us to, ourselves to subside in layer. In order to hold on to self-attentiveness, we need to remain balanced between, we shouldn't be carried away by thoughts, we shouldn't fall into sleep, we should hold on to self-attentiveness. So long as we're holding on to self-attentiveness firmly, we are not in manner layer. Only when we lose our hold on that self-attentiveness can we slip into manner layer. And conversely, when we're trying to achieve manalaya by other means, like let's say pranayama, if anybody does that, um, before they get into manalaya, they need to focus on and turn that attention on yes. awareness. That's what Bhagavan implies in verse 14 of Rupadesha Undiya. Yeah. A mind that will subside by, um, by controlling the breath, only if that mind is sent on the one path, but the, the path of investigation will its form die. The one path or path or vary, the one path or path of investigation means this one path of self-investigation. Right. Because it's the one and only means to eradicate ego. Right. Um so three more questions. Um and all I have been posted here. Um so, Mira, do you want to go ahead and ask your question? Uh, sure. Hi, good morning, Michael. Good morning. Um, so, if I think of the space example, the infinite divisionless space, yes. when we put an enclosure, when we put four walls, yes. it becomes an individual space. There is utility, of course. Yes. But then when the walls are broken, it becomes an infinite space again. So, no, no change happens to the space within the, infinite, the my, finite one. But at the same time, uh, it gives a feeling of separateness from the infinite. Yes. So it's a, it's a wall that we put in that is born or dies, the enclosure that is born or dies. So we are all holding on to the enclosure as the I am, instead yes. of holding on to the content, the pure uh, divisionless space as I am, right? Yes, yes, correct. And so okay. long as we've got an inclination to hold on to the, these four walls, yeah. when these four walls fall down at the time of death, we will project another four walls to hold on to. Right, right. So while we are living in the waking, while the wake, the waking dream and the deep sleep goes through as a cycle every day, no matter yes. what. Yes. And because the ego comes up and the waking comes and the experiences yes. comes, but then we understand that when as long as the ego is there, the waking state is there only for that time. The minute minute the uh, ego, uh, the the person sleeps, 
we are in dream state and yeah. what was valid in waking state is not valid in dream state i cannot use the waking water when i'm thirsty in the dream state yeah. similarly the dream state is not valid in waking state if i win a lottery in dream yeah. i can't use it in my waking state yeah. so these are limited because they exist only for a short period of time just like the deep sleep state but i the knower the experiencer is there in the waking state aware of the changes in the body mind intellect and the world and everything and in the dream state aware of the dream and in deep sleep state aware of the absence of dreams and body and uh, the world existence right uh, yes so but... i am the truth i'm the awareness existing always yes yes that's true but we can refine it even more that which is knowing all this in waking and dream is our self as ego that ego is absent in sleep it's only from the the perspective of ego in waking and dream that we can talk about awareness of absence in sleep in sleep we are not aware of any absence in sleep we are aware i am where that is sleep is a devoid state devoid as bhagavan says in verse 12 of ulujnapadu and verse 27 of um upadesha undia the awareness that is devoid of both awareness and ignorance alone is real awareness but everything is still in subject right when when he says that when he said the awareness that is devoid of awareness and ignorance what he means is awareness and ignorance of other things so in sleep we remain as pure awareness so there is neither knowledge of anything else nor ignorance of anything else there is alone what is so knowledge and ignorance has a meaning only from the perspective of ego in waking and dream so it's only the ego in waking and dream that says i wasn't aware of anything or i was aware of the absence of anything that's only from the perspective of ego in waking and dream but we say that but that ego was actually absent it it itself was absent in sleep what remained in sleep was not awareness of any absence what remained in sleep was only the pure awareness i am but uh, all the vasanas and everything is still in a in a in a potential form still available there which is why it comes back up when the ego rises right it doesn't disappear so 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 it is said for the sake of those who want an explanation okay but, but vasanas are whose vasanas egos if ego is absent in sleep how come a vasanas exists there in potential form because it can't disappear right because they come back up and when we wake up okay that that's an answer to satisfy our mind but why should we even even the potentiality doesn't mm-hmm. exist in sleep okay so why not just bypass the ego at all why not just understand i am the awareness using the body to work and why not why bring in the ego and put our attention but, into ego but, then the, the only connection between you as pure awareness and the body is ego or because it mixes us with the body as i yeah. that's why and, bhagavan okay. says ideal in verse 24 of he says one thing i rises as the rises in between as the extent of a body so ego is the the go between the intermediary between satchit and the body and world 
But when I understand I'm not the enclosure wall, I'm just the content inside. And why not just... Uh, Un- understanding, <laughs> is, understanding is for the intellect. Uh-huh. It's not just a matter of... Under- what? Okay, when you understand that, what are you to do with that understanding? Then I function in the world saying... No, don't function in the world. If you understand you are not this body, then who is functioning in the world? It's only the body and mind that are functioning in the world. Yes, but I'm functioning... The purpose of understanding this, Uh if we understand it correctly, we should then... Or if I'm not this body and mind, then who am I? We should turn our attention back to ourselves. We shouldn't be concerned about the world or about functioning in it or anything like that. I understand. Of, yeah. in, that, that is, we, in order to follow Bhagavan's path, we need to have a clear understanding of what we are and what we are not. But how are we to use that understanding? Merely understanding, I'm not this body, I'm not this... I mean, it's there, it's written in so many books. I'm not the body, I'm not the mind, I'm not the five senses, I'm not the karmendriyas, the nyanendriyas, I'm not this, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. What I am is just awareness. Okay, so what are we to do with that? I'm still suffering. I know all this. I know I'm not this body. I know I'm not this mind, but I'm still miserable. What am I to do about it? Uh, I understand. We I'm have not to put ego. it into practice. That is the whole point. That's what Bhagavan's teachings are all about, about applying all that is taught in Vedanta, apply how to apply it in practice. If I am not this body, if I'm not this mind, if I'm not these five... Uh, Karmendriyas or five Nyanendriyas, then why should I bother about these things? What am I? I am just Satchitananda, pure Satchit. So attend to myself. That's the whole point of it. True, but experientially, I experience a sunrise, even though sun never sets. Experientially, I experience moon, moon, uh, moonlight, but moon does not have a light. When you look outwards, yes. But why look outwards? Bhagavan is asking us to not look outwards, look inwards. Yes, I look inward, I understand, I am the awareness, and I, I identified myself as the awareness, but experientially the world exists when I wake up. We have to when wake up. When you look outwards. But I can't stay the whole day with my eyes closed, right? No, it's not a matter of closing. It doesn't matter whether the eyes are closed. It's where the attention is. So putting the attention within, I can still work I outside. See. If your attention is within, mm-hmm. you are not working. If you think I am working, your attention is outside. You're still aware of the body doing the work. We, that is, we need to understand the sole aim of Bhagavan's teaching is to turn our attention within. We need to try more and more and more. We may not succeed. In fact, none of us succeed perfectly. We keep on our attention, keeps on going outwards. We keep on identifying ourselves with this body, feeling we've got this problem, that problem, we've got to work, we've got to do this, all this. That is because we're failing to ident- attend to ourselves. What is the solution? Attend to ourselves more and more and more. Don't worry about this external life. Bhagavan has said the external life is taken care of by Prarabdha. We do not need to worry about working or not working or whatever, that will all, all happen according to Prarabdha. Our but sole simple task Bhagavan has given us is to attend to ourselves. Okay, that you, is Michael. all that matters. Okay, thank you. <laughs> if we attend to ourselves, he will take care of everything else.
But trouble is, we we are talking about these things, we are and everything, but are we actually doing it? We need to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. We've read all the philosophy, we've understood it, we talk about it and everything, but are we putting it into practice? That is what we need to constantly be reminding ourselves. It's not just about these ideas. Bhagavan's teaching the Advaita philosophy, it's a very beautiful philosophy. But yeah. how is that going to help us? It, 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 that is, understanding these things will make our life a little bit more pleasant. See, but have, go... we come, have we come to Bhagavan just for a little bit more pleasant life? Or have we come to him to put an end to all misery? To put an end to the, not only to all suffering, to put an end to the sufferer. Because we can get rid of suffering only by putting an end to the sufferer. So who am I the sufferer? That is what we need to be investigating. Yes, we fail. Our attention keeps on coming out. So we have to keep on turning it back in again. So when we understand I am the awareness, then when something happens in the waking state, the suffering, everything happens, it does not affect the mind as much because I yeah. know I'm not yeah. the... Con- I'm That's not what the- I say. That's yeah. what I say. It makes our life a little bit more pleasant if we understand these things. Yeah, so understanding... But, but it's not a solution to the problem because we're still experiencing mm. the suffering. Maybe we experience it a little less than we would have if we hadn't understood these things. It's like a shift. Yes, yes. But this is... This is, this is, this is a... a the symptoms of the disease are slightly alleviated. Mm-hmm. If you have a headache and take paracetamol, your, your, the, the symptoms will be slightly alleviated, but it's not really solving the problem, is it? Why no. did you get a headache in the first place? So we, Bhagavan, is a, Bhagavan is radical. He, he goes, radical means going to the root. Bhagavan goes to the root. What is the yeah. root? The I who says, oh, because of Bhagavan's teaching, my life is a little less uh, less painful than it would have been otherwise. Who is the I who says that? So we need to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper within. So can't we work just using the mind as a tool, just using it for remembering we, what we, needs to be remembered? We, we are always we using the mind as a tool. The trouble is we identify with this tool. I am thinking, I am working. Okay. It's Thank a false you, identification is the problem. Thank you, Michael. We cannot okay. do anything without that false identification. Mm-hmm. So whatever we may be doing, I'm working without doership. I'm in a very detached. There's still an I there, but it's saying I am working without doership. The very fact that we say I am working means the doership is there. True. So we Thank need you, to, Michael. We need to go deeper and deeper and deeper within. That's why Ramakrishna Paramahamsa told that story about the poor woodcutter and the sadhu. Every day the poor woodcutter would go to the edge of the forest, collect some fire, would bring it and sell it and earn just enough money to feed his family. And he had been doing this for years. One day when he was going to gathering, cutting the firewood, a sadhu passed by and the sadhu advised him, go deeper within mean within the forest and when he went further in the forest he got some more valuable wood and he made a profit and some months later the sadhu came again and the, 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 the woodcutter said oh Swami 
because you told me to go deeper within, I was able to get this very uh, good wood and I'm able to sell it. So now I've got a little bit of savings. I'm able to feed my family better than I could. So thank you, Swami. The sadhu said, go deeper within. And it went on and on like this. Eventually he found sandalwood trees that he sold at a big profit. And the sadhu said, go deeper within. Then he found a silver mine. Then he, the sadhu said, go deeper within. He found a gold mine. Eventually, the sadhu said, go deeper within, he found a diamond mine. Like that, go deeper within. That's, that's the motto of that story. Though, though he, that, is, that was an analogy told by, um, given by Ramakrishna Paramahamsa. But what go deeper within means, go deeper within yourself. The deeper within yourself, the more value you will derive from Bhagavan's teachings. Until eventually, when you go deep enough within, you will come to retrieve that, what Bhagavan describes in Nana as the Atmamutu, the pearl of oneself, the pearl that is our own real nature. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, <clears throat> well, the practice, the, the, so to summarize, Michael is asking you to practice more and more. And, um, I'm not asking of... only you, I'm asking me, I'm reminding myself, I need to practice more <laughs> us, and more. All of us, right. <laughs> um, so the next question, Michael, so, um, uh, it's a pretty good question here. Is that, hello, Michael, between the knowing and the being, what is the right way um, to stay closest to um, or working towards beingness? Is that such a thing as fake it till you make it on the path to liberation? <laughs> um it's very difficult yeah we can we can jokingly talk about fake it till you make it the thing is ultimately in this path we have to go beyond all faking faking is what is not real we are investigating what is real what is real is only i but one thing we can never fake is i am because that alone is real, that alone is ever shining. So we need to go deeper and deeper and deeper within. Regarding knowing and being, to the extent to which we know ourselves as we actually are, we are there by being as we actually are. So we are. the truth is we are always what we actually are. We are never anything other than that. But now we seem to have risen as ego. Because as ego, instead of knowing ourselves as we actually are, we know ourselves as something other than what we actually are. So the means by which we as ego can, can attain liberation is by knowing what we actually are. So we need to look within more and more and more. But the more we look within, the more we as ego subside. And the closer we come to thereby to being as we actually are. So knowing what we actually are and being what we actually are are one and the same. As Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Rupadesh Undia, Tanai iritle tanai aridlam. Being oneself alone is knowing oneself. Um, Michael, can I just quickly elaborate yeah. on yeah. on uh, the point about fake it till you make it. Um, so the reason I ask this question is when we read about um, the experiences of, well, I 
I never know how to use the word experience in this discussion, but when we read about people who attained self-realization, um, there are two ways. For some people, it happened uh, in a split second. So there was there was the false eye and then in the very next moment, as it was with Bhagwan, there was no um, false eye any longer. Um, but for, for most of the people, it seems it was a progression. Um, and the problem with, with it being a progression is that we don't know what that state is of abiding in the self. Uh, we know about it theoretically, but we don't know the nature of it because we're we're not in it at the moment um and so when i go out into the world and i deal with people i feel that there's a bit of cognitive overload in dealing with them on the level of the ego and then also bearing in mind that this is a dream that my real nature is something else, that there are no preferences that I have in the real nature does not have an understanding that this person is separate from me. So when I'm dealing with them, you know, whatever exchanges that are happening on the level of the ego should not have any sort of effect on me. And then it becomes very difficult for me to, to feel natural about it to feel like I am um, I am doing a fair practice of trying to remain aware of the of the self of my true nature. And so that's why I asked this question. And I just wanted to understand, is this normal um, in this on this path, on this quest to feel this way, that at a certain level, I am trying to convince myself all the time that none of this is real. <clears throat> that is, Bhagavan taught us that none of this is real in order to make it easier for us to let go and turn within. But so long as we experience ourselves as I am this body, we will inevitably experience the world as real. So merely telling ourselves this world is not real, it may help to a limited extent. I mean, it's useful to understand that this is not real, but so long as we are, we, we are looking outward, the world seems to be real. So long as we are dreaming, the, world, the dream world seems to be real. So we, the correct way of applying what Bhagavan has taught us is by turning within. Only by turning within can we sever the knot of, of identification, I am this body. Only to the extent to which this knot is severed, or at least weakened, can we be detached from the world. So do, do not be... There's nothing natural about this world. There's nothing natural about identifying ourselves with the body. There's nothing natural about actions. So all these things are unnatural. What is natural is knowing and being what we actually are. So if we want to return to our real nature, 
It may seem to be natural to ego to be always attending to other things, but that is not our real nature. Our real nature is just to know and to be what we actually are. So if we want what is natural, we need to try and attend to our own nature, in other words, to our own being more and more and more. While we are following this path, we are torn between our Vishayavasanas, which are drawing our mind outwards, and our Satvasana, which is inclining us to withdraw back within. So this struggle will go on in all of us. But we need to be very focused on what is the one solution, whatever problems we may we may face in life, whether material problems or spiritual problems or psychological problems or whatever, the ultimate solution to all problems is only looking within and knowing us, thereby knowing ourselves as we actually are. So let's not be concern ourselves with anything else. Let us concern ourselves. Try, let us try. Of course, we are concerned about other things, but we should try to minimize our concern about all other things and be concerned about the one thing that really matters. That is knowing what we actually are. Thank you, Michael. Is that a clear and helpful answer? Um, yes, yes, I, I yeah. think that that I do have a, now a much better understanding of how this works. It's just that when I'm putting it into practice, it's a whole different beast. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's the same for all of us, but we, we, that's why we need to be very clear in our understanding that all that is required, all that Bhagavan has asked us to do, is to attend to ourself. If we attend to ourself, all problems will be solved. Right. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Michael. Um, Sanjay, Lohia. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so you said that the entire, one minute, the entire spiritual teaching is directed towards one ego. Yes. That's you said, sir. Yes. So my question is, yes, it makes sense, but why is this spiritual teaching still continues? Because it's coming from eternity and it seems that it will go on for eternity. So if it is directed towards one ego, that one ego must have been annihilated by now. Why does it still continue? to witness the all, all, all the teachings. Who, who is asking this question? I'm asking. Are you aware of the world? Yes. So ego is still there. The I that is aware of the world, but yes. he, I that refers to a particular person as I, that yes. is ego. So ego yes. hasn't yet gone. But it seems that it will not go because the, the teachings, the Upanishads, the Vedas, the, uh, all the teachings, Ramana's teachings, they're coming from eternity, it seems. And it'll go on, go on and on and on. It, it seems. seems it seems, yes. When, when did the uh, Vedas and Upanishads come into existence? When I came to know about it. Exactly. 
And when will they cease to exist? When, when will they to, come to an end? When I cease to exist. Exactly. So, <laughs> so we should, that, that is what I was saying earlier. We need to stop thinking about other things. Stop thinking about Vedas and Upanishads and uh, eternity and all these things. We need to think about just one thing and one thing alone. I. Who am I? That is what Bhagavan's teachings are all about. Bhagavan is extremely one-pointed in his teachings. We need to be equally one-pointed in our practice of his teachings. Otherwise, we're not really following his teachings. So, uh, the implication is that Bhagavan is so compassionate that he is giving us teachings all for one ego. His Bhagavan's teachings are for one ego, Upanishads, Christ's teachings, Buddha's teachings, Michael James conveying the teachings, everything yeah. is for one ego. They're all for you only. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's for me only. But yeah. to, to use a technical term, we're one ego. It, yes. it could be it could be you and anybody, but it's from my perspective, it's me only. So the yes. entire the compassion is so great, the Bhagavan's compassion. That he is he's bombarding us from all areas. The, yeah. the, the entire entire spectrum of spiritual teachings is for me. Why is he so compassionate? Because he is your own self. He loves you as himself. He doesn't see you as Sanjay. He sees you as himself, as I am. So if we want to love him, we need to see ourselves as he sees us, namely as I am. And only when we see ourselves as the pure I am will we see him as he actually is, because he is that pure I am. We need to be unifocused on, yep. on ourselves. Yep. That's, the, that's the entire teaching. Exactly, exactly. The entire focus should be on I, nothing and, else. Yes. We need to be one-pointedly focused on the one thing that actually exists, namely I am. So all questions which are taking us out outside ourselves is, is of no use. Means I've been asking you questions since the last 10 years now. Yes, yes. I'll be wasting my time in asking so many things. At first, naturally, so long as the mind is outward going, we'll have so many questions about so many things. But if we focus more and more on what Bhagavan is telling us, we will find most of our questions are completely unnecessary. So slowly, slowly, the interest in asking about anything else will drop off. The only question worth asking is, who am I? And the only way to ask that meaningfully is to look within. Otherwise, we, as Bhagavan says in the second verse of Ekama Panchikam, we're just like a drunkard who, who is saying, oh, who am I? Where, where am I? We're tottering around. All our output questioning is like that. So in order to ask who am I properly, it's not a matter of asking it by words. It's not a matter of asking it by mind. It's a matter of asking it by looking deep within ourselves. In other words, it's a metaphorical asking.
looking deep within ourselves, is truly asking, who am I? Because that's the only way to find out the answer. Nobody can tell you the answer. Nobody can tell you. Okay, when Shivakash and Palai asked Bhagavan, Swami Nana, Bhagavan said, uh, Arive Nan. But why did Bhagavan say that? In order to get him to look back within, to find out what this awareness is, but it's always shining as I. Otherwise, Bhagavan's teachings are mere words. So I was just but but Bhagavan gave teaching in words in order to point our attention back within, where his two true teachings are ever shining as silence. I was just thinking that the, uh, when Sri Krishna gave his teachings to Arjuna, it was not given to Arjuna. And it was not given to even Sanjay. It is. It has been given to that one ego, to me. Exactly that one eye. That's the. That's the. That's the essence. Because we feel, in our outward look, we feel. Oh, it's not given to Krishna. It's not given to Arjuna. But it's. It's been directed towards Sanjay. It's yeah. not even directed towards Sanjay. Not even Sanjay. Only for you. Only for me. And 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 like me is not Sanjay. Yes. Got it. Got it, sir. I've taken. Exactly. I've taken your. Uh, uh, to too much of your time, sir. No, no problem. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next question from Titi. Um, if the ego was not in deep sleep, why does the ego say how well I slept? <clears throat> what was in sleep was I am. Ego is a um. Ego is catching hold of two things. It's catching hold of I am, which belongs to Satchit, and it's catching hold of the body, which belongs to the body, and it is conflating the two. So because we because ego, what what ego essentially is, is the pure I am, and because that pure I am alone remained in sleep, we experience I slept. But the but what do we mean when we say I slept? We mean I was in a state where in which I was not aware of anything other than myself. But what was aware, what was in that state was what we actually are. Ego was completely absent there. But because the reality of ego, even now, is that pure I am, it seems to us as ego, but but we that is, as ego, we're able to recognize that we existed in sleep, even though we were not then ego. That is, some of these things, it's very difficult to put it into words. We need to think it through for ourselves and understand it. What exists in, what existed in sleep is just the pure I am. That same pure I am exists in waking and dream. But in waking and dream, from the perspective of ego, that pure I am is mixed and conflated with a person, as I am this person. What existed in sleep is not the person. It's not even that I that is aware of itself as I am this person. It is only the pure I, which is the essence of that ego. What ego actually is, the reality of ego alone exists in sleep.
ego as such does not exist in sleep. Is that a clear answer? I think so. Yeah, um, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, so, I think at this point there are just um, oh, uh, Bruce. I think you're the last one. Still there? I am here. Uh, I, I, it's a question of uh, this past lives it you know it's like we hear all these religions talking about past lives past lives only exist from ego's perspective they actually don't exist there's only one life no no it doesn't make sense the past lives are every bit as real as the present life so long as you yeah they're every bit is real in that one time if you want to call it time of ego they only exist in that time of ego yes not the time of bruce i'm not saying that but in that sense there is no like just as as i mean there is no, there are no past lives there is only the life of being it's you know it's like yes. a precision of language i asked a question so so long so long as we conceive that there's a present life we have to conceive I, when bhagavan was asked about this about past life he said so long as you think that you are now alive that this mm -hmm. this present life is your life then there were certainly past lives okay. but when you know yourself as you actually are, you'll know there's no past life, no present life. In fact, there's no past, present, or future. There's only what eternally is, the eternal present. The the other thing I have trouble with is it, it, it and it's in it's in this question as well. It's precision of language and like like the story that we hear <clears throat> of Bhagavan being stung by hornets, but when we, there's a disconnect when we uh, investigate the science biology of hornets, specific strain of that species, when they sting, they do not lose their stinger, they can sting multiple times. So, all I'm saying is, is there's an inaccuracy yes. occurring. The, the, uh, that, that, Was that it actually hornets that bit Bhagavan? Bhagavan never says there was that it was hornets that stung him. He never said that spiders spin webs from their uh, spinnerets and then eat them or reabsorb no, them through uh, the uh, spinneret. I'm no, just no, saying. Wait, 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 wait. One I'm looking thing. for precision, precision okay. in language. Okay, what one thing, the story of the hornets, exactly what species they were, we don't know. They were a very exactly large type of wasp. Whether they were, I mean, wasp, all the hornets in the a particular hornet species family. of wasp, but whatever it is, they were, they were hornet-like creatures. 
regarding the, the stings that were left in his thighs, that could well be the embellishment of the story by devotees. That is what has okay. been passed down to go. us. If that is scientifically incorrect, that may be. But the story itself, the core of the story, the Bhagavan stood there and allowed the hornets to sting, that is definitely correct. Because so. Bhagavan wrote a verse about that. So yeah. many, many things about Bhagavan's life, many details about Bhagavan's life, <laughs> will not we are not entirely accurate we weren't there at the time so we don't know exactly things are passed down by word of mouth so even those be... that were there and recorded it recorded it inaccurately yeah may, maybe maybe but but the incident happened what is important about that incident it it illustrates bhagavan's supreme compassion he, because he had accidentally disturbed that hornet's nest, and the hornets were therefore angry, he, he allowed them to sting, and they stung only the thigh that had brushed against um, the, the, the nest. They didn't sting any other part of his body. That, 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 that much is definitely true. Regarding the, the spiders, there, there's something I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the technical term is. That is the web that, that a spider spins. Obviously, the spider doesn't spin that, absorb that web back into itself. But if you they, see they a eat spider, the web, they if, actually eat it. Well, maybe they whatever. actually eat it, and it's reabsorbed. As... Yeah, but whatever it is, when you what Bhagavan is referring to in the in the fourth paragraph of. Nana, but is also referred to in the, one of you Upanishads. When a spider, for example, hangs down on a single thread, mm -hmm. it, 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 it hangs down and then it goes up that thread again. As it goes up, it absorbs it back in. That's it all. Can, it doesn't happen that way in terms of spiders. It, they it, do doesn't, not matter. it, it okay, doesn't matter but, how it happened. That is how it okay. appears. But the it spider appears. has okay. spun that out of itself. It absorbs it back in. <laughs> Whether it's eating it or what it's doing, doesn't matter. But point okay. is, that is just an analogy. That is an analogy to explain. Bhagavan has used that to explain how the mind projects the world from within itself and absorbs it back into itself. That's all that matters. So we shouldn't get caught up in detail we we need to take what is the purpose Bhagavan isn't isn't uh, an entomologist giving us a scientific explanation about um uh spiders he is just explain he's just using an, a, a simple analogy to explain something we should take what is we should take the essence of it whether exactly how the spider absorbs into itself whether it's eating it or whether it's absorbing it who knows what, what does it matter i mean it, that's irrelevant to the that's beside the point the point is it, this is to illustrate how the mind projects the world out and absorbs it back within that's all okay. that matters so the final point the reason i'm bringing this up is in the analogy that you had the lecture with Bernardo with, mm. you accepted his argument that the lake represented the absolute being. And I question that as a premise. I I, I, yeah, yeah, I saw your email. I was in the middle of replying to it, <laughs> but I didn't have time to reply to it. 
you gave a time reference there, and I listened to that to see what I said. I couldn't find that. It, uh, yeah. uh, where I, if you can tell me the exact time reference, I can listen to it again. One, one hour, 42 minutes and two seconds. I so, listen, um, that, that's where I was listening. That's where I was talking about verse 26 of Uludunapadu. You were talking about the, uh, you accepted, you were trying to have a discourse with him. Yeah. And you were, and I appreciate that. And you were trying to use his analogy to help further his perception of what you were trying to communicate, which so I also how appreciate. How would you frame that uh, question? What I what I, the, what I said what yeah. I said in the email is that the the it's it's a it's not a good uh, tack or approach to accept his argument because water is just very similar to ego. It takes on the form of its container, right? And in Bernardo's lecture or discourse with you, he couldn't accept the immaterial nature of being. And I think it's really critical that we we this is why and this is one of the reasons why I love and respect a lot of your lectures so much is because you adhere so closely to Bhagavan's teachings in a very you know it's it's so hard because of all these peripheral contradictions. This is what my point is. Right. I I I listened to that one forty two oh nine or oh two or whatever. Well, it, it, go, it that's where it goes off the rails, is what I'm saying. That was the no. place where I was explaining verse twenty six of Uludunapada. I couldn't hear anything there about. I mean, I may have referred to his analogy of, of uh, Lake at some point. Well, but you I, just have to listen to it for a while. So I mean, but no. it's it begins at that point and it goes on. It, yeah. I think Maybe what Bruce... he found difficult to accept was verse 26. But I did warn him beforehand, this is you the did. real you did. this is where Bhagavan's teachings become really radical. And yes, that, you, but, did. you did, you yeah. did, you did. I'm not, I'm not I I I, I just uh, I, I think that that you tried to accept his analogy, and I I just think that's where it went I, off, I, off. I don't think it's uh it's, you tried to work with it. I tried to work with it, but it's not a very good analogy to work with. It was a, it was really, it was, it, I think, and it, it's, it's what, what resulted in what the, the disaster of that, of that discourse in the end. But yeah, I mean, not, well, not fundamentally, the, but, 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 but disaster, if you want to call, I mean, it wasn't a disaster, but it, it was just a discussion. But yeah, that, that was, that was, it was at the point of that verse 26 of Uludunapadu, but he, mm -hmm. He it was just too much for him. Maybe I shouldn't have gone so far, but he was asking me what I mean by ego. So I was pointing out what Bhagavan means by ego. Um, but it was obviously too much for him, which is fine. I mean, he it's, just it, uh, it, everyone understands things in their own way. Come uh, on, uh, Bruce. 
I'll shut up. I, I'm just uh, I, I'm going course, on. Yeah, the, uh, Matt's brings up a good point. You're referring to things we haven't listened to, so useless to bring it that up here. Um, so I think um, because if people haven't watched it, so they may not really be able to connect with what you're saying. Um, maybe so we should do this discussion at a later time. Um, do you agree? Bruce? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just, because you are having, I, the reason why I'm saying all this is I'm having a lot of trouble, uh, with, uh, with seeming inconsistencies and trying to make concessions to individuals that have arguments about, uh, Bhagavan's teachings. Why don't we do this? Why don't, in the interest okay. of time. Can, can I, uh, in that connection, suggest one thing? Yeah. That is, we when we come to Bhagavan, we, they, there may be so many inconsistencies in the stories, so many things that don't quite add up. What we come to Bhagavan for is for his teachings. If we go to the essence of his teaching, they're extremely simple. That is what we need to grasp the essence and put it into practice. We, we, otherwise, our mind is going outwards. The whole aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our mind back within. Whatever Bhagavan taught us, it is to convince us that the only thing worth attending to is I. So okay. do let's not worry about all these other things. Yes, we all know that Bhagavan's the accounts of Bhagavan's life, are, they're full of inaccuracies because the accounts of Bhagavan's life is how other people saw Bhagavan. And everyone sees Bhagavan through their own colored glasses. So we shouldn't expect the stories of Bhagavan's life to be entirely accurate or entirely consistent. What, what is consistent is the very essence of his teachings. Some of the things he said, were to suit particular individuals, but the core of his teachings, the heart of his teachings, as expressed in Nana, Uludunapadu, and such places, are extremely consistent, clear, simple. And um, if we if we are ready to see from his from the point of view he's he's asking us to see from in his teachings, it's all so so simple. All the complications come from our mind with all its different thoughts and different ways of looking and things, its attachments to particular views and so on. We must be willing to give up all our preconceived ideas, all our former beliefs and everything, and try and understand Bhagavan's teachings with a clear, open mind. As Saduam often used to say, if you bring me a, a, a slate with many, many scribblings on it and ask me to write the beautiful name of Ramana. First, I have to wipe the slate clean. Then only I will write the name Ramana. If I write the name Ramana without first wiping the slate clean, the beautiful name Ramana will become one, will just become another one among the many scribblings on the slate. Likewise, if we want to understand Bhagavan's teachings, our mind needs to be a clean slate. We need to wipe, give up all our previous ideas, conceptions, and things, 
and try and understand Bhagavan's teachings in their pure simplicity. Then only we'll be really benefited by them. Michael, this yeah. is yeah, this is Stephen. Mm. This has been a comprehensive um, session, and I appreciate who you are yeah. as the radio of Bhagavan. Yeah. What you said to me about um, Bhagavan's teaching teachings really mm. comes up for me now. After the first four verses of the 740 some verses and anything else that's been said is all that mattered. The rest of the verses were answers to the questions he received. Yes. So I say to those who have questions, if you haven't read the 740 verses, then continue to read them. You will get there. It's not going to happen in this session, and it's not going to happen in the next session until one reads 740 verses and then makes some assessments, analogies, or whatever. So after the first four verses, I listen. I got it in the first four verses. I practice. And it has real life on the ground difference. I practice. That is what it's all about. Thank you. Which 740 verses are you referring to? Oh, well, it's all of Bhagavan's it's teachings just, and sayings. just using it as an example. They're just using it as an example. Okay, okay, right. Yeah. Thank you, Kumar. Hey, hey Kumar, Kumar, I have one question, please. I need to ask this. Uh, Ram here. So, so, Michael, when you do Who Am I?, um, which is going inside, does that actually reduce, when you go inward, does it reduce the thoughts versus going outside, which multiplies the thoughts? Is, is that the characteristic of who am I? Which is when you go, when you try to go inside, does the thoughts reduce automatically because you're going within? Bhagavan says in Nana, etane eningal erinomena, however many thoughts rise, so what? As and when, what is a thought? A thought is our attention going outwards towards something other than ourselves. Whenever our attention goes outwards, we need to turn it back towards ourselves. So let us not worry about thoughts. Let us the only our sole aim should be to attend to ourselves. To the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we are thereby not attending to other things. So the thoughts will naturally reduce. But okay. we shouldn't be worried about the thoughts. The thoughts have got nothing to do with it. Bhagavan, Bhagavan's aim is not to stop thought. The aim of Bhagavan's teachings is not to, or Bhagavan's path is not to stop thought. The aim of investigating who am I is to know who am I. And in order to know who am I, we need to look deep within ourselves. So the cessation of thoughts is a byproduct. It is not the aim of Bhagavan's teachings. Cessation of thoughts is the aim of yoga. It is not the aim of Bhagavan's teachings. The aim of Bhagavan's teachings is to know ourselves, the reality of the first thought I. If we know the reality of the first thought I, that first thought I will cease to exist and all other thoughts will cease to exist. Till then, do not worry about thoughts. Worry about who knows these thoughts, to whom do all these thoughts appear? Who am I? That's what we, our attention should be going inwards, not outwards. Being concerned about thoughts is allowing our attention to go outwards. 
To whom do all those thoughts appear? That's what Bhagavan, that means, to whom, means we need to turn our attention back to ourselves, for one to whom all thoughts appear. The wild, Is that a clear yeah. answer? Very clear answer. I think I'm I'm good there. Now, um, the 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 little follow up there is uh, um, so, so someone in me is trying to understand all this, right? Someone is trying to understand. I should go inside, attend to I. Is that uh, that that entity which is trying to understand? Is it, it is, is it still the mind and the ego which is ego, trying to understand? Ego, yes, yes. The I which is trying to understand I is ego. Okay. 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 All right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Um, right. So the vital nutrient of all thoughts is attention. Yeah. Deprive the take that vital nutrient away, and the thoughts will automatically die off. So we don't need to worry about it. You know, just focus on self-attention, and that will automatically exactly. take care of everything else. Um, very good. Uh, That's I think why that... at the beginning of this, I talked about those three verses because in those three verses. They're all emphasizing about I. Right. That I alone will give liberation. Therefore, we should meditate only on that I and thereby give up all attachment. And if we if, if by meditating on that I, that I dies, we thereby remain as we actually are, and what then remains is only that I, nothing else. Thank you, Michael. With that, we will conclude today's um, session, and um, I will see you. We will all see you next month yes. for verse ten of um, Anabandha.